He's Christian. He's Jimmer. That was loud. Not as loud as last week. Was last week loud? Yeah, last week was really loud. Sorry about that. Well, welcome back to Two Physical Therapists and a Bag of Chips. Season 2, Episode 1. Congratulations, we made it. That's pretty impressive. We're going to get back on our regular social media schedule this week. Last week was a little bit of a week off there. But today we're going to discuss functional strength training and we're going to review the Dehigh Chiaki Crispy Jerky compliments of Kim. Thank you, Kim. Made it all the way from Hawaii. Yeah. Or wherever she got it. Looks exactly like it sounds. It looks like uh, dried bacon. Very thin. Yeah. Delish. So functional strength training. I mean, there's an official definition. There is. Yeah. It uh, is a classification of exercise which involves training the body for the activity performed in daily life. Brilliant. We also like to expand that to, to sports, personally, yeah. I think. More sports-specific or activity-specific. Yeah. Specific, that's a hard word. So the first time I kind of got involved in this was way back in the day before you were born. There was a young man named Gary Gray who started working on functional strength training, getting away from single-plane dumbbell motion exercises and, um, and doing more function-based and he had like 200 PTs in a gym and would say, okay, come up with 10 new exercises. Mm-hmm. That was fun. But it, the, the biggest thing I took away from that was starting to think outside the box. Think, think about controlled movement patterning instead of what does a single muscle do and how do we load it. Yeah. It was fun. Oh, it was cool. Gary's still out there doing a bunch of stuff. Yeah, he's brilliant from an invention perspective. I think a lot of PTs now use the functional... Um, FMS. Uh, that's different. I don't think that's Gary Gray. Is it not? No, that's uh, Gray Cook. Oh, yeah. Earl Gray Cook. Way to go, Earl. He's a, he's a brilliant dude, too. I love that guy. Yeah. Shout out to Earl. If you're listening, um, you know, email us. We'd love to have you as a guest. Yeah, that'd be fun. Anyway, no, uh, Gary Gray was more like the, the functional grid. That oh, was the functional thing. grid. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, of course. We'll get a photo of that this week. Yeah, that'd be good. You don't see that very much anymore. I still use it all the time. I remember when we first started using it, we just taped. Taped the cross on the ground and oh, just yeah. had people reach. No, oh, that works. So for those who don't know, it's basically a, a grid, 360-degree circle. It's cut up into, is it 10? 12. To 12? I think it's three per quart. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's probably right. So 12, grid of 12. And... Uh, you can assess people through it. You can teach exercises through it. It's pretty handy. Yeah, it looks like Twister for adults. Yes, we call that. Anytime it's on the floor, people ask us, is that Twister? It isn't. It's functional strength training. Yeah, it's pretty good. What this comes down to is making sure that you address the movements involved in a certain activity and you train somebody for the activity at hand. If somebody needs to be able to get out of their chair, uh, you're not going to train them to jump up the stair. You're going to train them to, to stand up from their chair. That movement is relatively simple. Once you get into more complex movements like shooting a basketball or swinging a golf club, there's a lot more planes of movement involved than just sit to stand. And so it's really important to make sure that when you work with somebody with a specific sport in mind, you're training them for that sport. So one of the best examples we have of what not to do was uh, we were working with a college volleyball player and uh, the, the school they were going to decided that they didn't need the 
strength and conditioning coach for volleyball, so they fired them and had all their girls trained with the football strength and conditioning coach. Now, all these girls got incredibly strong and could squat and lift very heavy weights, but they all lost about 10% of their vertical, which is not functional at all. Needless not for, to say, not for a volleyball player, no. Needless to say, that season was not a great success, and the school learned their lesson in that regard. Yeah. So, bulking up individuals who are in high explosive sports isn't necessarily your, your, your improved functional strength. Yes, they're stronger, but it is not functional strength. So that's just kind of bulking up and getting heavy and isn't ideal. It's, it's not sports-specific, right? So, you know, having said that, you don't want volleyball players just doing nothing but plyometrics or jumping exercises because that just leads to overuse injuries or irritation. So there's, there's a specific set of activities that you can do that are function-biased, meaning if, if I jump, what, do I, what muscles do I use? Where do I need to be explosive? I need to be able to control that jump, and I need to be able to control the landing. So those are the things that we, uh, that we work on, and you can break those down. So if you're dealing with golf is a good example, which is a multi-plane activity. So you have three planes of movement, and golf, the, the golf swing goes through all three of those. So you can break it down and start addressing one plane first, then add the next, then add the next, and then start combining them in more, uh, more specific exercises and activities. And I think this, this applies to any sport, right? Oh, absolutely. Being able to, to train the weak area of a certain movement it makes it easier to perform the whole movement. And so when you come into physical therapy and you're, you have a really good vertical jump and you can dunk a basketball, but every time you land your knee hurts, we need to see what's going on in your landing. So we may just work on the landing component of that. We wouldn't necessarily need to work on quad strength, but it may be uh, ankle or hip stability and, and control, and maybe you've got weakness in your hips, and so we need to address that weakness first, and then we need to work on the neuromuscular cueing so when you land, the correct muscle sequence occurs, so that way performance goes up, but also your injury risk goes way down. So those are really important areas to look at. The other one we see in, in volleyball and baseball a lot is, is the slowing down of your arm because if you hit the ball hard, but you still have a lot of pain, and that's traditionally where the pain occurs is after you've released the baseball or after you've hit the ball, you need to be able to slow those, those, those arms down and those limbs down, and that becomes another area to focus on. So the, the deceleration of movement is just as important as the, the, the acceleration point. And that there's different ways to train all that, and uh, that's where the functional portion of strength training comes in. Yes, a lot of that has to do with, I know we've done a podcast earlier about pronation and supination. So pronation is controlling a movement um, in a decelerating phase and supination in an accelerating phase. So yeah, working on deceleration, working on control, working on being able to absorb certain forces instead of only focusing on releasing force um, is very important, especially in a PT setting, right? Since we're doing a lot more injury assessment or preventing injury assessment instead of just doing pure muscle strength or bulking up. Um, that's Robert's department. Yeah, physical therapy isn't a weight loss or, or a muscle 
gaining activity traditionally. The exercises can be very much the same. The dosage is just really what changes. And so the, tr the, the same is true for, for specific sports. If you're a, a, a distance runner, you don't want to bulk up, although squats and all those other things can be very beneficial. You're just going to change your rep uh, and maybe the, the, the amount of weight you're doing. So you wouldn't do five sets of 80% one rep max. You might do 50 of 25% uh, or 20 of, of 50%, something that's going to challenge you in a much more sport-specific or activity-specific way. Yep. And so the movements can be very, very similar, and dosing becomes a really big aspect of that as well. Or you may change the movements. Instead of doing a full squat, we may only work on partial squats, but we'll work from 90 to 120 degrees. Absolutely. Um, yep. So, yeah, there's lots of ways to tweak it. Um, which actually makes our job very easy. Sometimes. It depends. Because you can just tweak away. Because the other problem we run into there is, is that individuals do certain things because they're good at them and avoid other things because they're not so good at them. And traditionally, we're working on portions of movements or movements entirely that an individual isn't very good at. And so what people find is, is we'll take a five-pound weight and have them do a very standard stock movement, but we force them to do it uh, correctly or, or really slowly, and they'll start shaking and explain how tired they are, and they feel like they're in better shape than that. But again, when you're trying to change a movement pattern, your body has to go through an adaptive phase, and it doesn't always require a huge barbell or dumbbell. I mean, you can do it with very little weight and oftentimes just body weight. It's kind of a funny story. We, we get this frequently where people will walk in the clinic and they look around and the highest weight we have, I believe, is an 8 or a 10-pound dumbbell. We have one 20-pound kettlebell that yeah, gets used on occasion. We don't. It's usually more of a doorstop. <laughs> we don't have any impressive squat racks or, or pulley, um, wall pulley weight systems. Um, and like Christian just pointed out, um, a lot of times we don't need that. That, that. This is not the environment where we're worried about, can you squat 300 pounds? I've, I've worked with bodybuilders that grab a five-pound weight and laugh, and then we do eccentric lateral rotation loading of the shoulder, and after 20 reps, they're crying. So it's, it's about specifically and functionally loading a muscle or a movement pattern in a way that gets the job done, that... that, that performs the activity um, in a way that we would like them to do it. Uh, so yeah, if you walk into a PT clinic, not just ours, but any PT clinic, and you don't see a ton of weights, that's because that's not what we're doing. Certainly clinics out there that, that use more weight, and they probably do a bit more uh, performance work as opposed to mostly rehabilitative work. Well, that's fine, and that's out there, and if that's something you need, you can find those places for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah if you have a PT clinic that is, that is tied into a, a, um, a workout facility or a fitness club or health club, that they, they might do that. But it's not a necessity, no. especially not in the rehab phase. You know, once we get to the point where we need to work with a football player and he's ready to start squatting 200 pounds, we're done with him. Yeah. Hopefully we've set him up for proper mechanical understanding and awareness, and then a trainer can take over. Absolutely. Trivia time! Holst. Last week's question, in Gustav Holst's The Planets, which planner is the bringer of old age? Uh, we had one correct offline answer. 
Oh wow! So Kay, our resident English professor, she she knew the she answer. nailed it. She knew the answer right away. Kudos to Kay. Yep, very very impressive. This week's question: Which company produces the most tires in the world? And it's not even close. <laughs> it's a great one. You if you get this, then you're either cheating or you're brilliant, or you're or like me and just somehow read it. Very youthful. Got got it in an interesting way. Yeah, so what what company produces the most tires in the world? Can't wait for these answers. Chip time! The Dehigh Chiaki Crispy Jerky, compliments of Kim. Chip tear ratio, well, it's more of a jerky bag than a chip bag, so it's kind of an interesting setup. I would still call it about 40%, though. They're light and really, really skinny. Really skinny, yeah. Very crispy. Mm-hmm. And there's no nitrites or nitrates. 21 grams of protein per serving. It's good stuff here. I wonder how many servings are in the bag. This is like um, eating bacon. Yeah. I mean, it definitely tastes like jerky. I'm not tasting like a teriyaki necessarily. I don't know what a chiyaki is. Exactly. Chicken teriyaki? Is that what that is? I don't know. No, the back I'm, uh, of the bag. Yeah, it's beef, soy sauce. Yeah, if you're a beef jerky and a chip fan, this is a, a marriage made in heaven, but it's not. Some chipotle pepper and ginger. Does it come in different flavors? I'm pretty sure it does, but it doesn't say it on the bag here. So it's more of a... Uh, I mean, it tastes like beef jerky and it's crispy. It's exactly what it yeah, sounds like. I like it. beef jerky. I definitely like it. I'm giving it a solid one thumb. Good. Definitely would eat it again. Yeah. Yeah, I'm debating. You're debating still? Mm -hmm. uh oh. No, I'm going to go one thumb as well. You go one thumb. It's nice. It's a different... I don't know if I could eat a ton of this. Do you like beef jerky traditionally? Yeah. But not that much. I'll take it when I go hiking. Oh. Uh, would you eat this on your hike? Yeah, totally would. Yeah. But I wouldn't eat like a whole bag in one serving. I don't think you're supposed to do that anyway. Would you normally? With potato chips? No, with beef jerky. No, but with potato chips I would. Oh, I see. Do you ever take potato chips hiking? No. Too bulky. Not a good hiking food. So this no. is a good solution to the hiking oh, problem. brilliant, yeah. Lots of protein. Yeah. Easy to Small, chew. Small, compact. Not as chewy as, as the jerky, so that's good. Actually, like, probably a little easier to consume in the smaller pieces, so if it breaks up, you're probably in better shape. Yeah, it doesn't take up much space, so this I might a, have to consider that. This is an important functional chip-based knowledge here. I'm, I'm going Labor Day weekend. Oh, good. Yeah, five, nice. five solid days. Whoa. Uh, I don't know what we're doing. That sounds great. So I need to conserve weight, so this would be good. Thanks, yeah. Kim. That's a great yeah. idea. Thank you very much, Kim. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening today. Next week, we're going to go over... Severs. Severs disease. Severs. Severs. Which is juvenile heel pain. Uh, we are also going to review the Lorenz Crunch Chip Cheese and Onion. So we've done the Lorenz Crunch Chip before. Now we're doing the cheese and onion flavor. We are? Yeah. That sounds a lot like sour cream and onion. No, it's cheese. Yeah, which is like basically sour cream. Cheese is sour cream? Kind of. Oh. Really? In a way. I think so. Maybe cream cheese. I don't think it's just cream no, cheese. No, because if you leave sour cream out, it becomes that, that uh, cottage cheese, right? Is that how, I don't think that's how that works. I think that's how that's made. Uh, well, this is a very traditional, very popular flavor in, in England for sure. I think through most of Europe, cheese and onion is high on the list. 
Not on my list. Oh, we're going to try it. It's better than next week's or the week after that. Oh, we're we doing plantains? Yep, new plantains in a couple <laughs> weeks. I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised. I may be. We're going to do them all in one go. If you like the show today, please tell friends, uh, follow, review, subscribe. If you're looking for more information about this topic, follow us on the Instagram and our Twitter throughout the week. For information on rebound therapy, check out our website, reboundclinic.com. He's Jimmer. I'm Christian. Thanks for listening.